So great to be uh, with the family of God this morning. I'm so excited. You know, um, just want to say thank you to Pastor Alex and Pastor Jacob just for how faithful you guys minister the gospel. And uh, the one thing I love about church planners is they're good at telling some stories. And so, um, you know, don't believe anything that Alex said, except if it was about Jesus. Believe that, right? So, um, hey, Jacob, I need you to pay for me to go on that men's retreat. I'd love to go to Flagstaff. So, uh, Nam can't cover that for me, so... Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about myself, and I think there'll be a picture of my family on the screen. Uh, We are the Rosas Four. Uh, There are four of us, uh, my wife, Marissa, and uh, my daughter, Helen Claire. She is five, and my son, Elias. Uh, Both of my children were born in Montana, but our story started in Tennessee. My wife uh, and me met, and uh, we... We fell in love, you know, this sad, sop story. We fell in love, but we went to school in Tennessee. I'm from Tennessee. My wife is actually from Alabama. If you know anything about college football, then you've probably heard of Alabama. Let me tell you how it is in Alabama. On your driver's license, you have to claim Auburn or Alabama. That's how serious it is, okay? And people in Texas don't really understand that, so uh, they don't understand college football. So, um, yeah. Oh, is that, did, that, did that hurt too much? Sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. No, uh, so God called me and my wife uh, to overseas missions, and he said, you're going to go to Montana. So, okay. All right. So, Lord, the Father began to teach us a lesson in lordship by saying, are you willing to go overseas? Yes. Okay, go to Montana. And we planted a church in a place called uh, Columbia Falls, Montana. It's 15 minutes from Glacier National Park. We were really suffering for Jesus Uh, from November to March of the next year because it's winter. But other than that, we absolutely loved it. And in that time, we had a passion not only to plant a church, but to plant churches. And so uh, over the last uh, few years, God's really grown our church there and blessed us. And about a year and a half ago, I got a call from a guy that said, hey, will you come to Arizona and help us with church planting? And um, really, we had been visiting, you know, I don't know if you know this, but in February, it gets negative 20 in Montana, and so we would hop on an Allegiant flight and come to Phoenix and enjoy 70-degree weather. It was amazing, right? And everybody up there is freezing and shivering, and and so we began to love Phoenix, and we began to love Arizona, but we didn't know what God was going to do with that. But then God called again and said, I want you to go to Arizona. It was an opportunity to submit to his lordship. And we're here today and in Asante Church, I want to simply encourage you to continue to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to continue till he calls us home. We're going to continue till he sets up the new heaven and new earth, and that's what I want to challenge you and myself today. This sermon is really for me. So it's a conversation between me and the Father this morning, and I hope you get to just be a part of that. That's what I'm excited about. But we want to value the mission of God. And so um I'm a 90s kid, so um, some, you know, I find that I'm getting older, and we have two young residents that are in our church plant in Anthem, and they keep telling me I'm old, and I don't really like that because I'm not old, right? But they're the first people to tell me that. But when I was growing up, we had a, f- a Friday night tradition as a family, okay? Um, our Friday night tradition is if you ate all your vegetables, then we would drive into town. And there was this building, there's this little uh, strip mall in front of the Walmart in my hometown, which is Millington, Tennessee. And you would, we would drive into town if we ate all of our vegetables, and there would be this yellow and blue sign. And it was amazing, because you would go in this building, you would open the doors, and there would be rows and rows and rows of movies, Okay. You probably figured it out. It was your local blockbuster, right? Now, the younger people in the room are like, what are you talking? It's a library with VHS tapes. 
Okay, you don't know what that is. It's a library with DVDs or Blu-rays, whatever, right? And we would go, and it was a Friday night tradition if we ate all of our vegetables. It was an amazing experience. You got to be involved. It was a tradition for us. Here's the sad truth for us today is there's only one blockbuster left in the United States, in the world. It's in Bend, Oregon. At one time, at its peak, they had 9,094 stores, literally a blockbuster on every block. It was really a staple in the 1990s and 2000s for entertainment. You'd go see a movie in the movie theaters. If you wanted to see it again, you would eventually go to Blockbuster and you would rent it. In 1994, it was bought by Viacom for $8.4 billion. I didn't even know they had billions back in 94, right? One thing about Blockbuster were the late fees. Anybody remember the late fees, you know? Like, we have a membership to our local library, and I, keep, I look at my wife, I said, do we need to return these? Are they going to, like, penalize? She's like, no, there's no late fees. I'm like, there's no late fees? What do you mean? How do, you, how do people be held accountable? Well, Blockbuster had late fees, and at one time, at the height of their, uh, their existence, they brought in nine, $800 million just in late fees. Lord, give me some late fees, right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I know Asante Church, you're like, hey, we want to plant more churches. We need some late fees, right? $800 million. In 97, there was, a man, uh, there was a man frustrated by these late fees. He got so frustrated, he says, I'm going to start something new. You may have heard of this company. It's called Netflix. He was frustrated by the late fees. And when Netflix started, you could actually, um, you would go online and they would mail you, yes, through USPS. It was dependable at one time. They would mail you a DVD that you asked for online. In 2000, um, Blockbuster really made a major mistake. They were offered to buy Netflix out. Netflix CEO came to them and said, will you buy us out? And they said, no. Everyone in this room, no matter the age, has heard of Netflix. Maybe none of us have heard of Blockbuster. In 2010, Blockbuster filed bankruptcy. And today there's only one Blockbuster left. And it's in Bend, Oregon. I tell you this story, church. Because if we do not change the course in America for the church, we're going to be a distant past. We're going to be a thought of the distant past, just like Blockbuster. This hopefully is not news to you, but our world is broken. There's 3.3 billion people in the world that don't have access to the gospel. Let me explain that. There's not a Christian down the street to tell them about Jesus there's not a Bible in their language. There's not even a Bible in a near language to them. And right now, there's not enough Christians going to them to tell them about Jesus. 3.3 billion. Let me, let's sink that in. I don't know if you know this, but 87% of the 4.9 million people in Metro Phoenix do not have a relationship with Jesus. So let me say, that's over 4 million people that don't have a relationship with Jesus. My hope today is that we continue to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus as we value the mission. Right now, currently in the United States, um, I love seeing the baptism video. Now I know, uh, you, know, you know, Alex told me this is not what it costs, but the average baptism in the United States costs $1.5 million dollars. You say, well, what do you mean? It's free. It's water, right? You take all the church budgets and all the ministry budgets and all of our country, and you divide it by the number of baptisms we see, and you see that we spend about $1.5 million every year 
just to see one baptism. That's the average. Church, we got to do something different. Right now, 85% of churches in the United States and North America are shrinking or stagnant. There's only two continents in our world where Christianity is on the decline, and that's North America and Europe. By numbers, America is the fourth largest lost nation. China, India, Indonesia, United States. So what I want to propose to us today as we submit to the Lordship of Christ, do we value the same mission for which Jesus was sent? God desires the church to value the mission. He desires the church to deepen her devotion to the mission. Why? Because we are simply going to emulate what Christ did while he was on the earth. The way it works is you're, you have a worldview, and your worldview impacts your beliefs, and then your beliefs impacts your values, and your values impact your behavior. So my encouragement today for us is let us adopt, if we're going to value, continue to value the mission of God, let us adopt some missional behaviors. Amen? So let's turn to Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. Acts chapter 1. For us, the, 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 the reality is, is that valuing the mission of God is not simply a behavioral issue. It's a Christ-likeness issue. We find ourselves in the book of Acts this morning and we're looking at the theme verse outlining Acts and that's Acts chapter eight, uh, Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you is what the writer says. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the world. And for us today, in order, this is today's lesson on the screen, in order to value the mission of God, we must adopt missional behaviors. If we believe the gospel, if we believe the word of God, then it will impact how we live our lives. So four missional behaviors. In Acts chapter one, Jesus has risen. He's alive. He has appeared to his followers and Luke begins catching us up to speed. In verse 3, it says this in Acts chapter 1. To these he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking to them regarding the kingdom of God. Now, the first missional behavior that me and you as followers of Jesus are to live is that we must focus on the kingdom of God. Acts is a book really about one thing. It's not about the book about the growth of the church, but it's a book about God using the church to expand the kingdom of God. In chapter one, what is Jesus talking about? The church? No, about the kingdom of God. You flip all the way to the end of Acts. You see in Acts chapter 28, Paul is in house arrest and he's kind of calling out to people who are walking around. And what does he tell him? It says in verse 30, it says, He's rented his own lodging and welcomed all who came, preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus opens the book speaking the kingdom. Paul closes the book speaking about the kingdom. And I fear we, myself included, have focused more on the church in America. And that's why we're in the situation we, have, we are in instead of the kingdom of God. Instead of the kingdom of God. 
The goal is the kingdom of God and the church is the tool to expand that kingdom. My friend Brian Hook, he's a church planter in Tucson. He says it like this. If we focus on the church, we can miss the kingdom. But if we focus on the kingdom, we will get the church. Far too long, I have made our end goal in my own church planting efforts to grow the church. But that's really not the goal. Let me read you a verse that really summarizes my thought. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. You know how much the water covers the sea? All of it. What is God saying to the prophet Habakkuk who's in a situation when Israel is not following God, the nation of Israel doesn't care about God, and this is what God says through the prophet Habakkuk. One day my glory will be made known all the earth. Another way to say that is one day we're going to see people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus around the throne. Not just because of Sante Church, but because other churches all around the world proclaiming the kingdom of God. And that it is near and is now. Amen? That's where we're at. The church is the tool God uses to expand the kingdom to all peoples. God designed the church to be the tool, not the end goal. Let me tell you a quick story um, of how this is personal for me. In 2012, I helped plant a church outside of Memphis in a county called Fayette County. And uh, we planted a church and we began with a core group of 80 people. And then the first year we saw 60 people baptized. It was amazing. God was at work. And after that, about 95% of our growth was the other church's numbers doing this. And our church number doing this. And, and I began to get very unsatisfied with that result in our leadership, talking through our leadership about this. And what came to me was this, is that we could be growing the church and not growing the kingdom of God. The, for us, when we look at the gospel and the gospel impact, the only number that matters is the percentage of lostness. So what do we want to see? What do your pastors want to see? What do we want to see in Arizona? Is we want to see the percentage of lostness in our city and in our state go down. We want to see the kingdom of God come near and we say, just, uh, we want just as in heaven here on earth. Amen? That's what we want to see. In verse 4, look at this. He says, you will, he says um, in verse 4, I jumped the Bible here, turned on me. Verse 4, it says it like this. And while we were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he had said. So Jesus connects with his disciples and he tells them about the kingdom of God, preaching the kingdom of God. And he's about to leave. And they're reared up. They're ready to go. They're ready to preach the gospel. And you know what he says? Wait. I don't know about you, but I don't like the word wait. Right? I like G-O, go, right? My son, he loves cars, he loves trucks. You know what he likes? Go. I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's make it happen. And you know what Jesus says to the disciples? Wait, wait. So our first missional behavior is we gotta focus on the kingdom of God, but the second missional behavior is if we're going to value the mission, we must depend on the spirit of God. Look at verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Wait. 
You might be familiar with the passage where Jesus met with his disciples right before this where it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, Wait! Don't go do what I said yet. Wait. Wait. Doesn't that seem counterproductive to this movement that Jesus is starting? Doesn't this seem counterproductive to God transforming the world? Here's the point, church. We're not the ones changing the world. We're not the ones that have the power in of ourselves. That power comes from the Holy Spirit. So wait. That's what Jesus tells them. No way to put it. God is going to do it. We want, when we look back in 10 years from now, and I know this is your pastor's heart, that when we look back in 10 years from now across from Metro Phoenix and across Arizona, is that we want to see God do a movement, and we look back and we say, we were just a part of that. It was not because of us. That's what we're praying. He says, you will receive power. Dunamis is the Greek word. I said that with a Spanish accent, okay? I'm sorry. Okay? <laughs> But it means to exert force on something. It's an external force that gives something else power. Meaning, we don't have the power. The Holy Spirit gives us the power. We don't have it in and of ourselves. You might remember an old show where they say, dynamite. Remember that? That's what it is. That's where we get the word, it's dynamite. We get the word dynamite from, an explosion. But it's an external force that gives that that object power but when do you get that power when the holy spirit has come upon you could it be that we find ourselves in the shape we're in in our country specifically because we it's not because we need more ministry it's not because we need more preaching it's not because we need more life no we need the power of the holy spirit and he lays it out and jesus says wait you can't do it on your own You can't do it on your own. Jesus is making it clear. The mission he has called us to cannot be accomplished without his power. Don't hear me today of me saying we need to do more, more, more. No, we need him more, more, more. When we read the book of Acts, so much of it seems extraordinary for us. But but have you ever stopped and thought, well, maybe that's just because it was ordinary for them? Think about that. We look at the book of Acts and it's just regular people doing some extraordinary things and we're like, man, like I'd love to see that. I want to see that. And, and when we look at the book, it's just ordinary people by the power of the Holy Spirit, God using them to do extraordinary things. So what seems extraordinary to us is ordinary when we depend on the Spirit of God. You will receive power. We will see this power displayed throughout the book of Acts. What is their power? Was, uh, what, what was the power that overcame barriers of geography, language, and culture as we see in the book of Acts? It was, the, it, it, it was the gospel coming to the Jews. It was the gospel spread to the Gentiles. It was the gospel in churches implanted in Greece and in Asia and all over the world. That wasn't their power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Here's the essential truth. If we have any hope of seeing a movement of God, it will not because we simply worked harder. It will be because we depended on the Holy Spirit. Our third missional behavior we must have if we're going to value the mission of God is not only will we focus on the kingdom of God, not only must we depend on the Spirit of God, but we must witness to the world. Verse 8. 
but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. It's really rephrasing what Jesus said in John chapter 17 when he went to the upper room and they saw the holes in his hands and the piercing in his eyes and his feet. And you know what he said? Just as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. We are not just to save people. We are a sent people. Jesus came into the world to reveal God and to bring reconciliation between God and man. If you're here today and you're hearing a lot about Jesus and you're hearing a lot about God, this is what I want you to hear, that Jesus is pursuing you. And every one of us that are believers, he's pursuing you. And there's an opportunity for each of us today to obey Jesus either in surrendering our life to him or again lay down our yes on the table. Yes, Jesus, I will do that for you. As Jesus came into the world with a mission, he has now sent us as believers into the world with a mission. D.L. Moody, a famous preacher, once said it like this. He met a young fellow on the train. This young man was bubbling over the prospect of going to this foreign country and telling people about Jesus. And Mr. Moody asked him a very pertinent question. He said, how many souls have you brought to the Lord here at home? And after a brief pause, he answered, truthfully, I do not know one soul that I have won. I share that story because we have a mission right here in front of us. It's your neighbors, it's the teachers, it's the, it's the faculty at the school, it, it's, it's your family, it's your friends, it's the people at the dog park. It's all these people. We have a mission right here, and that word witness can be translated as something you see with your own eyes and you experience the writer is saying this, Jesus is saying this to the disciples, you saw me crucified, you saw me buried, you saw me risen again, and you've seen the kingdom of God come near. Now go preach the gospel as you get the Holy Spirit. But another way to look at this word witness, it can be translated as a martyr. Not something you've just seen, not something you've just experienced, but something you're willing to lay your life down. I don't know about you, I don't want to lay down my life for my own name and my own fame. I don't want to lay my life down for really much of anything outside my family. But what I want to give my life for is the kingdom of God and for Jesus to be made famous here in Arizona and the world. Amen? That's what he's called us to. We do, we, we do so much ministry, but Jesus simply told us all of our ministry falls under sharing the gospel and making disciples. I feel at times we've added so much to this. Listen there. There's a lot of good ministries to do and things we do, but don't let us distract us from the main thing. We must witness to this world. Because isn't this world a hopeless world? I don't know about you, turn on the TV. It's, it's hard not to recognize that, right? Whether it's a commercial, whether it's someone struggling with a mental illness, whether it's a family member in, in huge amounts of debt, whatever. This world is a world of hopelessness, but we have the one true hope, the hope that is only the only hope that's going to save us, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest need that anyone has is the gospel of Jesus. As we see in verse 9 through 13, and he said these things and they were looking on and, and Jesus was lifted up and they're kind of astonished and they're just kind of standing there looking like, oh, he's gone. So, so long, apparently, God's got to send a couple angels to say, hey, guys, 
Go do what Jesus said. Look what it says. It says, and they saw these things. He was lifted up in a cloud, took him up to, out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood with, by them in white robes. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in heaven? They were so fixated on Jesus. And he says, go do what Jesus said. So they return to Jerusalem. And you know what they find themselves doing? They return to Jerusalem. In verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem and went uh, from the mount called Olivet and near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, all of these were one accord, devoting themselves to what? Prayer. So God says, Jesus is there with them. He said, we see in the scripture, we must focus on the kingdom. We must depend on the Spirit. We must witness to the world. But if we're going to value the mission of God, the fourth missional behavior we must take is we must cultivate a heart of prayer. They, Jesus leaves their sight. They go back to the upper room. What are they doing? Praying. Praying. All these were continually devoting themselves with one mind to prayer, along with the men and Mary, the mother of Jesus. They were continually devoting. I love this Greek word. It's two words for us, but it's really one, one, one word in the Greek. It means to stay close. They were staying close to what? Prayer with one another. Prayer. If we're going to value the mission of God, we've got to stay close to the Lord. Meaning, don't move far from here. Lean into prayer. One mind. They were in agreement. We must pray. It wasn't just the faithful person who comes to church and prays in the prayer room. No, they were all in agreement. We must pray. If we're going to value the mission of God, the missional behavior that we must take on is we must cultivate a heart of prayer. You know what's interesting about it is they prayed. You say, why is that interesting? Because a lot of times when we talk about prayer, it's your personal prayer life. But what we saw is the church was praying corporately together. They prayed. They prayed. They prayed because they recognized their need for him. So what does cultivating a heart of prayer look like? On our team, we say never apologize for praying. <laughs> we can be driving down the road and so say, hey, let's pray. We pray right now. Something happened in the middle of a conversation. Hey, let's pray. We pray right now. We never apologize for praying. We never apologize for inviting one another into a relationship with Jesus through prayer. We never apologize. The other thing is, is we cultivate a heart of prayer through praying the Psalms every time we get a chance. Hey, what are we going to pray today? Okay, Psalm chapter 1, let's pray. Hey, Psalm 127, let's pray. How do you cultivate a heart of prayer? The quickest way to join God in what he's doing is to pray. Because it's not just an activity that you need to do. It's because God is shaping your heart to agree with him and what the goal is. And that is to expand the kingdom of God. So if we're going to join God in the mission, if we have any success, it will be because we focus more on prayer than productivity. So as we respond to God's word today, this is my simple question. Do we, do I, value the same mission for which Jesus was sent? Today God is calling us very simple to value the mission more than we ever have before. Asante Church, don't let up. Stay focused. Continue to submit to the Lordship of Christ and the mission of God. For you and for me, we must focus on the kingdom. For you and for me, we must depend on the Spirit. For you and me, we must witness to the world. And for you and me, we must cultivate a heart of prayer. And in light of these missional behaviors, what do we apply today? 
Maybe your opportunity today is simply to obey Jesus in salvation. Jesus is calling you. He loves you. He died on the cross for your sin. He made a way for you to have a relationship with God. Will you come and trust him today? For, for some of us, it may be, you know what? We, we need to obey. Uh, we, need to, we need to be dependent on the spirit more in our lives. Or, you know what? We need to move from just being saved to being sent and witness to the world. And we need to just not think about doing things for God, but spending time with God in prayer and asking him to do those things. So as we close today, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to, between you and the Lord, I want you to think about this. Will you submit to Jesus' lordship today? Maybe that's in salvation. Or maybe it's as you obey in sanctification. There'll be people down front that want to pray with you if you want to connect with them. Also, those perforated, awesome connect cards, they're amazing. I'm going to steal them because I need them too. You can use that. But let me pray for us as we seek to value the mission of God together.